So today we have in the studio with us Martina Costello from SMBC Aviation Capital. Martina, welcome. Thank you, Lyfan. Martina, would you share with us a little bit about your background, how you got into information security, please? Of course. Um, possibly like a lot of my, I won't say I fell into it, but I meandered into it maybe. Um, when I was in school, I was very interested in creative subjects. My favorites were art, English history. And so when I left school, I uh, studied advertising for a while because that seemed to be uh, a nice way of using the, the different talents that I had. And when I finished with the advertising uh, course, at the time, um, if you were an intern in an ad agency, I'm not sure what it's like now, but it was very, very badly paid. So like a lot of my peers, I had applied to the major retail banks and I got a job with AIB and I said, well, I'll take that and see how I get on while I'm looking to start a career in advertising. And soon enough after I joined AIB, I heard they were looking for people in the data center. And I said, well, I'll, I'll try that. It sounds interesting. I didn't have any kind of a technical or particularly scientific background. Um, and I started working there and I loved it. And before I knew years had passed by, I was um, a shift leader. I was working on shift, very interesting type of work, working on probably one of the biggest mainframes uh, in certainly in the country, if not in Europe. Um, and with a real um, keen go-ahead technology focus, for which at the time was un unusual enough. And at the point then when I was been shift uh, manager for a while and I heard that they were looking for somebody with creative background to actually go to what was one of the other IT areas at the time, um, the standards area, and do something in relation to information security awareness. I never really heard the term information security at the time. To me, security was very strict rules on a mainframe and that was it. Uh, so I went along to that. I was lucky enough to be given free reign creatively there. So I came up with a cartoon, um, some accompanying materials, rolled it out across the organization. At the end of that said, well, that was me on secondment. Am I going back now to operations? And they said, well, actually, would you be interested in doing something in relation to security standards? And that's how it started. So then before I knew it, I was on a working group with the British standard, which was 7799 at the time. In the UK, I was the only Irish person on it. Um, I formulated and rolled out standards in AIB. I expanded my role to include mainframe operations. I had data protection at one stage as well. And I ended up really in, I ended up as kind of the wrong way because it was kind of continuing to build on what had been started um, as a sort of an, inter an internal consultant. Um, so when new applications were being uh, built and designed to actually get in at that level, um, perform risk assessment, put in place a network of security coordinators throughout the, the retail bank. And yeah, so I, that is what, the, what I, I became then, uh, information security manager for, for the retail bank. That's such an interesting start. You said you had a creative background yeah. and it was 
because the bank was looking for someone with that background. Yes. And it just so happened. So it was all about timing, being in the right place at the right time. And it probably was down to the right managers being mm. at the particular meeting when the head of IT mm-hmm. said to my manager at the time, you've got someone on your team who's a bit creative, don't you? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's how it started. <laughs> Do you remember, you, you mentioned about using a cartoon for the user awareness training. Yeah. Do you remember, you know, all the details about it. Can you share with us a little bit more about uh, the first? I do. I suppose that the, the first the first challenge was actually pitching this as an idea because um, at the time as well, awareness was a sort of a new uh, a new concept. Um, in, instead of getting people to read rules and know that they had to abide by them, this was trying to um, appeal to them and maybe get them to think um, and similar to what it is now, really. Um, and so it was, it, it, that was a wonderful experience, actually, because I did everything from, um, I, I worked with a, an advertising agency here. And uh, so between us, we came up with the design of the main characters, obviously all the scripting, the voiceover recordings, the editing in the animation studio in Manchester. And out of that, um, interest was peaked through possibly, I think, the Information Security Forum, which is, uh, was the European Security Forum at the time. And um, we were approached by a training company who actually said, well, we think we could market this. So the video ended up being sold to 50 large organizations around the world. Wow. <laughs> so if people wanted to have a look at that, what would they search for today? Do you know? I do not know. It is actually <laughs> online today. Uh, but um, yeah, it was. It, we we picked a, a, a kind of a caveman theme, basically appealing to uh, people's, not a lot has changed. You know, the things that you had to look out for in prehistoric times, here's the equivalent of them today. Uh, and we followed that up um, then a couple of years later. Uh, I did a, a, an, a, an actual follow-up, but with a very much a data protection focus. And we did a good engagement with the commissioner at the time, actually, who we asked, again, I think we're probably a little bit, what do you think? A cartoon? Is it a bit too? They they were very, very much in favour of it. So, Martina, you have been with your current company, SMBC Aviation Capital, since 2014. Tell us a little bit more about this role and how user awareness training has played an important part in this position as well. Yes. Um, at the end of 2014, uh, I had the opportunity to take up a new position in SMBC Aviation Capital, which was um, at the time it was transforming its IT and uh, standing up new infrastructure, writing new applications. So it was a very exciting time to get involved in. I, I I remember looking at it and thinking, gosh, this is this is as near to a green field <laughs> as I'm going to get. Um, and it was quite a difference for me uh, coming from a large team that I had in AIB and obviously in a company with a large number of users to a, a large company itself, but with a much smaller number of users and uh, being essentially a team of one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, because I had quite a, a broad background um, in any case, um, I had I had encountered most areas of information security uh, throughout my career, but 
in that in my current position, it's very important for me to actually look at well, where where are the priorities for me um, as as a, a person of of one? Where can I make a difference? And and I really see that user awareness is somewhere that I, I can make a difference. And I have spent a lot of my time um, and energies on that uh, in the past few years. It's obviously it's very important to get the basics right and 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 make sure that all the the good uh, housekeeping and that is done. But really, if you think about it, um, a lot of the things that hit the headlines, if they're not nation state attacks or if they're very targeted, advanced attacks, most of the time it's down to user inexperience or mistake or in a lot of cases, social engineering. And what surprised me was having come from a, a retail bank where a lot of my later years had been spent working with the teams that were building out the internet presence. And so there was, a, it was a very much a, a, a target for phishing and malware and um, customer manipulation, essentially. Um, so I sort of presumed that a company that didn't have, <clears throat> excuse me, they didn't have a very uh, big online presence or an, uh, an e-commerce function, um, that they wouldn't really be a target. But it turns out, obviously, in this day and age that everyone is a target. And <clears throat> certainly it's been seen in uh, recent years that the aviation and the aircraft leasing sector is just as much a target as anything else um, because it has high value transactions. And uh, the main motivation for an awful lot of cybercrime is financial gain. Um, it might be causing mayhem in some cases, but in the majority of cases, it's for financial gain. Um, so again, I think the, the importance of engaging with your user, especially being a person of one in, in a company, um, I have tried... Uh, all the time to refute this, the user is the weakest link um, and told my, uh, I'm in the advantage as well that I know everyone in the company. So I can tailor messages to them. I can speak to them personally. I can call them. They can walk over to my desk. Um, I have, uh, can run presentations for them, which really takes into account their business requirements and their everyday uh, working. Huge amount of um, communication like with any other firm is is done by email. Uh, we have users who travel throughout the globe to all sorts of different areas, need access to information on a 24-7 basis. Um, and so continuing um, various different methods of uh, engagement of people and raising awareness is probably one of my main priorities um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And how do you go about, let's say, with user awareness training? Because you've mentioned that it's tailored towards each individual, but if it's in a larger organization or if they have a few people, how would you go about with user awareness training? Well, I think it's even broader than user awareness training. I think if you're giving a good information security service to your company, you very uh, much need to understand the the business that the company does and the risks that it faces and the risks that it's prepared to take. And then you can actually tailor your whether it's your risk assessment, whether it's the, the awareness training that you give to users, um, what tools that you need to invest in, in, in order to help them 
operate securely in, in their day-to-day work. But I, as, as well as I would consider myself very interested in people-centric security. Um, that's kind of one of the main tenets of how I operate. And the other one would be uh, in the area of risk and risk appropriate for the business that you're doing. And in order to be able to, as I say, service the, your organization, you really need to understand the business that they do and what they are prepared and what they consider uh, to be a, a real risk or not. Um, this is something that I've seen evolve over the years. Um, if you leave uh, risk measures in technical people's hands, you'll probably get very good technical measures, but it might not necessarily be the ideal thing for the end user or for the business itself. Um, so I wouldn't say I do one-to-one presentations with everybody, but um, I have very much uh, set myself up as a resource for people as opposed to um, a control function, which uh, is overseeing what they do. And in that way, I, I encourage them to come to me, to ask, to say, to put their hands up if I think I actually might have made a mistake here. I think you mentioned a really important point there because a lot of times when I'm talking to contacts in the industry, whether you're in information security, which is first line of defense, or it might be in risk management, second line, and audit that line, audit probably gets it the worst because they're seen as, you know, the bad guy sometimes. But it's important for the colleagues, the wider company to recognize that information security is really here to enable the business. Absolutely. Not to stop the business. It's not to say, this is what we're not doing. This is what you're doing wrong. Um, So that's a really important message to get out there. And earlier you mentioned as well that one of the interesting things that you learned when you moved into this firm was that before you thought for a small organization, they might not be as susceptible to social engineering, but that's not true. No. Right? No. Um, in, in this day and age, if there's any company that has any financial value, you're going to be targeted. Again, it's not a matter of, you know, I'm not going to get it. It's just when are you going to get attacked? Yes, certainly. There's there's no such thing as somebody who isn't a target now. Um, you might be an incidental or opportunistic target, or it could be something that is um, specifically targeting you. But there is no doubt there the increasing sophistication in frankly, impersonating people is really um, what's at the heart of, of most of it. Um, and if anyone thinks that they're not, you need to look and see, well, what do we have that's valuable? Um, so obviously our our company manages very, very high value assets um, and does have high value financial tra- transactions involved in that. Um, but you might be something, you know, a company that has... Um, intellectual property or um, there, there's probably something that some every company that's doing well has a value and often it might be its methods and processes. Um, and so I think making your customers uh, or your, your, your staff particularly obviously aware, um, it's still, I think, uh, a factor that in general, most people try to be helpful. Um, and so uh, clever engineering um, is constantly being used to actually prey on people's trust and good nature and get them to 
agree to things that they they wouldn't normally do or to share things that that they shouldn't they shouldn't share and it is very difficult to as, as you were saying with the the deluge of emails that everyone gets every day it, it is sometimes difficult to actually spot the the false ones um when you are in a uh, the habit of responding quickly to things um, and are expected to do so what would you say are some of the most common instances where people have fall, fallen prey to social engineering, some of the most, you know, uh, simple mistakes that people have made? Rather than maybe saying where they've fallen prey, I'd, I'll tell you the ones that we see most frequently. Mm-hmm. And um, that is the impersonation of senior executives. Um, that that continues with greater or less sophistication um, uh, constantly. Um the very popular um, asking people to register to make sure that their email quota is uh, uh, is extended, or we are moving um, service provider or something. And even if even if it's, it's something that uh, people, it's nothing to do with a company. You know, they, you, there's a lot of them in in relation to some of the the, the cloud web uh, mail hosts. You might have never put your mail up there, but it's still convincing enough to people and um, urgent enough um, that they say, oh gosh, uh, my mantra is, if in doubt, ask, you know, please don't, please. There's no such thing as a, well, that's a really stupid question Um, because some of them are are quite um, sophisticated and some of them is quite hard to tell if they are actually genuine or not. Um, but they're probably the ones that we see um, most often. Uh, You're also on the chapter of the Irish Information Security Forum. That's right. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about this, because I think for people who don't know, who are not in the field, they may not be familiar with this name. What's the organization all about? Okay, so the Irish Information Security Forum um, has been running for quite a number of years now. Um, and Essentially, it is a not-for-profit gathering of anybody can join it if it's an organization that joins it, but any organization can join it if they use technology. That's probably everybody now. Um, I've been involved with them uh, since I, when I didn't know much about them either, went along to do a presentation on standards certification. And uh, I just thought, gosh, this gathering of like-minded people and security practitioners that I, I didn't know existed. Um, and so I, I joined them. I have been on the committee at various points. Um, I've been a chair of it in the past as well. And I'm very proud to have been awarded a fellowship from them a few years ago. Particularly now in my current role, when, as I said, I'm in a, a much smaller team, um, it's a very valuable organization for information sharing, for networking with your peers. Um, we have chapter meetings about six or seven a year, um, a couple of social occasions as well. And especially if you're in a, a smaller team, chances are you will meet somebody or you'll be able to ask about, um, this is a problem I have. This is something that I'm facing into. This is something I'm, I'm looking at doing. Um, so you probably will meet somebody who is in the same boat as yourself or maybe has done it already and will be able to give you the, their wisdom um, as in definitely do this. And I did these five things and I wouldn't do them if I was doing it again. Um, so 
the details are on the website www.isf.ie and uh, anybody can apply to join any organization. Um, if you are a vendor or supplier of security products, then you can apply for an associate membership. There's just a few differences between full memberships and the associate memberships. And really, the organization has gone from strength to strength in the, in the past few years. Um, it has been around, in, as I say, for quite a number of years. Um, it would have started uh, with a mainframe security user group um, and it has morphed now into the what it is today. Um, so yeah, go on the website. Uh, I'm the secretary this year. Um, and if you're interested in joining, you can certainly have a call um, with myself or uh, somebody else in the committee. And you can, uh, we can invite you along to a chapter meeting to see if you like what you see. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly, I suppose, pleased and proud that it has uh, lasted um, through the years and it is stronger than it ever was now in the last couple of years. And you said that there are a few chapter meetings per year without giving away too much information. What does each chapter meeting look like? Oh, okay. So probably there would be um, two presentations. Um, often we have our associates pr presenting with a very strict rule that they're not to try and sell us anything, but they obviously um, uh, will have uh, access to research and industry knowledge. And um, we also very much encourage members to come along and present. Um, so, you know, things like uh, how they rolled out um, mobile device management or how they're approaching a journey to the cloud. Um, we survey our members annually as well um, with a selected list of topics. And depending on the um, selection back from the members, we would try then and fill the speaking slots for the chapters um, with those topics for so that that happens the end end of the year, beginning of the year. Um, and the first chapter meeting is normally, um, we would give maybe some of our uh, associates a chance to give us some of their predictions for the year. And then we'll go and look at them at the end of the year as well and see um, how they panned out. So the chapter meetings are mostly held in Dublin. They're um, on generally a Thursday at 4 p.m. And we held our first chapter meeting in Cork last year and that went very well. So there is another one planned for October this year. So the next Dublin chapter will be on uh, September 19th. So there'll be a lot of time for people who are interested. Well, get your organization on board. And if you're in information security, really, this can be for anyone at any level in information security. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it, as you say, it's the organization that joins. Um, and then obviously you can't bring 20 people to a chapter meeting on a regular basis but but really yeah and and especially um especially myself feel benefits of it now as i say that i've a um, i don't have a large team anymore um or especially for somebody who's new to the role uh and you can come and see the cross section of people who um are actually in similar discipline to yourself yeah, it's it's a great place for learning, I suppose, yeah. for people who are more experienced to impart knowledge. Yeah. But also yeah. for, you know, the newer guys in the industry to learn and like you mentioned earlier, take on board, you know, previous experiences. I've done this, you know, if yeah. you're thinking about doing this, definitely go yeah. there or definitely yeah. don't go there. Yeah. Um so have a look at that. Um 
you know, one of the reasons that I've decided to do this podcast is because there are so few women out there. You know, it might be one in each organization or sometimes not even a single woman insecurity in the organization. How have you managed to stay in this field for so long? I remember looking at some stats a few years ago about the number of the proportion of women in security and uh, thinking, God, that's quite bad. And it seems to have disimproved, if, if anything, which is, is sad um, for all sorts of reasons. I think from my own experience, possibly I was helped by the fact that Within uh, within AIB, when my career was growing there, in all sorts of areas in technology, there were quite a lot of women involved. Now, obviously, there was they were it was a big number of people, but um, the other, the, probably the main thing is that my manager through kind of my formative years while I was developing through the various areas of security uh, was a woman and I saw her put in place a multidisciplinary team. Um, she very much encouraged the, it takes all sorts, you know, and she would have, um, she, I remember some things that she would have definitely said, which would have been kind of trust your instincts. And, and I think in a lot of cases, um, we women do tend to be a little bit cautious about putting ourselves out there unless we've ourselves convinced 100%. We're not Tell going to try it. and convince anybody else. And so I think she was very instrumental in giving me a push and, and things when I would have been nervous running workshops with cross-functional teams. And now looking back on it, uh, I, I think I realised what, what our function was doing a lot of the time was bringing areas together, which... Uh, um, possibly wouldn't have between technical and business areas. We were a little bit of a catalyst in, in the middle. Um, I think possibly that's that's part of it. Um, so that when um, I left AIP, I would say probably there were as many women in security as, as there were men. And it, it wasn't looking in from the outside. It might have seemed unusual, but it didn't. It didn't seem mm -hmm. unusual to us. That's interesting because... Well, when, when I sit here listening to it, that's certainly unusual to hear yeah. that. But because you came from an environment and that was your first foray into security, that became the norm for you. Yes. And also, I think possibly maybe the, the culture of the bank as well. Um, everybody it took in years ago well, came from school. So everybody was grown in their career in their while they were working. Um, and it it was just as often women as it was men. Um, now, there might have been uh, issues as there were in a lot of companies as, as people progressed towards more senior roles. Um, but it certainly wasn't unusual to see um, women in, in the more technical roles. Uh, and certainly I didn't go out of my way to try and make sure I recru recruited women. But I, I do think that experience really... Um, brought it home to me that everybody has something to offer as well. And you really, you, you, you shouldn't be looking for um, a, almost a particular profile all the time uh, because you'd be surprised when you actually do introduce something different uh, at what can, what can come out of it. And, and my background, for instance, creative, and I hear people now saying, oh, we need to get more creative people into security. We need to get more 
dot, dot, dot people into security, you know? Absolutely. Um, Like you said, and I don't think this is just unique to security, but really, if you look at building any team at all, you can't have people who are all the same. You need diversity in every way to make it work, to to make it interesting as well. Because if you're working with people who are exactly the same as yourself, you have the same flaws. Yeah. Yeah, you're not really going to progress. (laughs) (laughs) And looking back at your career, um, you know, if you were to go back to when you first started your career, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to 20 year old self? Oh, to my 20 year old self. Um, I I think it's... (laughs) kind of back to trust your instincts, which is, you know, that's not rocket science advice at all. But um, depending on your personality, you know, you might feel overawed in particular um, situations. I think actually probably one piece of advice uh, that I would relay is particularly if you're in meetings and you don't, you don't quite get something, don't be afraid to ask because nobody knows everything. Um, you'd be surprised then the little bit of support that that might give to somebody else in the meeting who's also thinking, well, God, I'm glad you asked that because I, I don't, <laughs> I didn't quite get that either. Um, so that's, that's kind of also in the, in the, in the trust your instincts. It, it takes us a long time to learn to be brave and to, to use our own voice. Um, but voices are different, but all are equally, uh, important. Thank you so much, Martina. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Women in Security podcast brought to you by Morgan McKinley. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. My name is Leif and Tan and we'll chat soon.